You're listening to Season 2, Episode Number 7 of Strike the Match. In this episode, my guest is Ramesh Richard, professor at Dallas Theological Seminary. Our topic of conversation today is global pastoral training. So with that in mind, let's... Welcome to Strike the Match with pastor and missiologist Dr. J.D. Strike the Match is a podcast that addresses matters related to missions, innovation, and leadership. Now here's J.D. Hey folks, there is still time to take advantage of the discount offer on my book, To the Edge, Reflections on Kingdom Leadership, Mission, and Innovation. As you well know, if you've been keeping up with Season 2, the 41% offer is good through this season. If you will go to Create Space and use the following coupon code at checkout, the code is J48ZZ7EU, j 48 ZZ7EU. Simple way to find the book is just to Google JD Payne to the edge, create space. It'll take you right to the page. You can put it in your shopping cart, check out, and enter the coupon code. And there you have it. Hope you take advantage of it. And now, my conversation with Dr. Richard. Today on Strike the Match, uh, I'm having a conversation with Dr. Ramesh Richard, and I had the uh, blessing of being able to to meet this brother uh, not too long ago. Both he and I were speaking at a missions conference in Portland, Oregon, and uh, I was just just encouraged to to meet him and hear about his heart, hear about his life and ministry, and then uh, be, uh, found out more and more about his involvement in global pastoral training. And so today our conversation is going to to deal uh, a great deal with uh, pastoral training. And uh, some of you are probably not familiar with uh, Dr. Richard, and so I want to give you a brief uh, introduction, uh, and then I'm going to let him share a little bit about himself as well before we jump in. But uh, Dr. Richard is a professor of global theological engagement and pastoral ministry at Dallas Theological Seminary. He is also the founder and president of REACH, and founder and chairman of Trainers of Pastors International Coalition. This brother is heavily involved in pastoral training, and so I know of no better individual on Strike the Match to talk about this topic. So, uh, brother, welcome to Strike the Match. Greetings, uh, J.D., my brother. Good to be here with you. Thanks uh, for your leadership in the body of Christ, and especially these platforms by which you provide thought leadership to uh, all who are involved in God's great cause well, and purposes, uh, especially in this this time and season of history. You're you're very, you're very kind, and uh, it's an honor to honor to be with you again, brother. Uh, some of the folks may not be familiar with you. Could you give us a little bit of background about yourself? Sure. Um, uh, about 250 years ago, East German missionaries brought the good news to my forefathers in southern India. I thought you were getting ready to say that you were born 250 years ago. <laughs> well, on, on, on occasion, people have wondered in the last year or so, I've felt that way uh, more often. Uh, but my forefather was a fanner in the king's court. That means he kept the king comfortable in a, a humid, hot uh, area. Uh, he embraces the gospel and starts an avalanche of advantage for uh, this uh, side of, of uh, our family. And, and here I am, 250 years later, still benefiting from it. Of course, it didn't mm-hmm. make me a Christian, but sure gave me an advantage for, uh, for the worldview and the convictions that I now share. But one of the two burdens that I carry for the world goes back 250 years 
because my forefather, who I look forward to meeting in heaven, actually fits the category of what I'm going to call an opinion leader. Uh, somebody who had the year of the king, uh, much like Nehemiah did, and Esther did, and Daniel did, and Joseph did. We call them opinion leaders in the sense that they're people of influence and affluence. These fit in a tier uh, of society which has traditionally been neglected in terms of the gospel. Christianity uh, has been primarily a movement among the poor, and our Lord Jesus said that. It would be much easier for those who are economically uh, uh, less uh, privileged to be uh, more open to the gospel. Mm. So on the evangelism side, uh, I have a great burden for those who are opinion leaders uh, who um, need to be reached with the gospel. They not only have horizontal influence, but they have lots of vertical influence as well. Mm. Wow, that is that is fantastic to be able to hear hear a little bit about that in your in your journey. Now, um, I know that listeners to this podcast uh, will be listening to this episode uh, after the fact, but uh, in just a few days from now, there is a significant meeting that's taking place in, in, in Bangkok. Can you tell us about this 2016 Congress that's uh, about sure, to Sure, I would be glad to. I would like to set the context for it, if you don't mind, Absolutely. Uh, my Please. brother. The second burden that I carry is strengthening pastoral leaders. And these, uh, these particular burdens uh, are rooted in me, called and burdened by it is a good word that the Apostle Paul uses. And I think people need to operate out of a burden um, because the word call uh, has been so uh, broadly used. When I was serving in India as a pastor, uh, uh, after my education at Dallas Seminary, I found myself with many, many pastoral leaders who are faithful, zealous for God's church, and yet had very little or no training. And here I was, way uh, educated beyond my intelligence, but not theirs, uh, having a responsibility to the congregation that they pastored. We found out that they were very, very afraid of uh, preaching next Sunday, which is what they feared the most, and yet the felt need uh, did not match what the real need was, which is simply character issues that they needed to uh, be godly in the way that they uh, came to life, came to their families, uh, came to their ministries and leadership. And then there was the matter of discernment, uh, good theological discernment. And because they did not have much of uh, a preparation towards those they were winging it every weekend. They're called, they get to their place by God. It's just that they don't have the skills and tools and relationships. So that's where um, about 35 years ago, God uh, bore in me, uh, birthed is a better word, in, in uh, my life, a, a burden for strengthening pastoral leaders. Uh, and there, uh, over the last 30 years, uh, we have been focusing on helping pastors to preach biblically, live biblically, and think biblically. As the three core needs of any pastor, whether you're in Birmingham or in Bangkok or in Bangalore or in Brazil, uh, they uh, need to, f to f somehow be ready for, for preaching biblically, living biblically, and thinking biblically. I was traveling the world, uh, as you have done, J.D. Brother, in the mid-90s, when we heard the first statistic that there were 2 million pastoral leaders with only 5% who had formal training. 5% mm -hmm. of 
two million, ninety-five percent facing people, God's people, every week, every day of every week, without any training, and that became uh, a burden for me. It was a dangerous situation that the World Church faced. They will not have access to formal training. And so we wrote to about a dozen training organizations and said, could we get together and meet? And uh, to my total surprise, all 12 said we should get together and meet. And should have known that the smile of God was on this. Dr. Robert Coleman, you know, some mm-hmm. of you hearers may know that name, was the master plan of evangelism and master plan of discipleship, who right. headed the Billy Graham Institute in Wheaton. Uh, calls and said, Ramesh, would you consider bringing this to Wheaton? We have the Bilirium Institute. We can have this here. I said, Dr. Coleman, we have now found 25 organizations who are doing some uh, pastoral training. He said, we can handle 25. And then I was uh, at, at a Promise Keeper speaker event. Remember Promise Keeper is oh, how yes. God used that so greatly. And uh, a man next to me said, Ramesh, this is bigger than Promise Keepers. What are you thinking about? I said, well, we found 50 organizations who do training of pastors, and we're hoping that 25 CEOs come together. He says, why do you want 25 if there are 50 organizations who are doing training of pastors? <laughs> so, so why don't you trust the Lord for all 50? I said, really? He said, yeah. Short story made quick this part of it. Uh, we had to move the event from Wheaton College to uh, a little bit away called Naperville, the Naperville Hilton, and we had 99 heads of organizations who showed up. Wow. And uh, divided the world into a dozen places and said, Reach has no agenda here except for you to talk about two things. Uh, what does non-formal pastoral training look like inside your regions? And secondly, what is your organization doing about it? The second day, a guy from the former USSR region comes to me and says, Ramesh, you just saved me $60,000. I said, what happened? He said, well, the guy next to me had already translated printed the book I was going to translate into Russian. It would cost me $60,000. And I said, Lord, thank you for this special mm-hmm. gift, because that's what it cost reach to put that particular event together. God wow. paid me back just in a different way. <laughs> so an entire new industry, uh, J.D. Brother, has um, grown around what I'm going to call non-formal pastoral training. There are two kinds of training. Formal theological education, mm-hmm. which gives a degree at the end of it, and non-formal pastoral training, which does not have a degree at the end of it, but addresses the needs of pastors on the field at any given time, with 95% of the world's pastors still needing some skills, some tools, and some resources. Mm. So we would like to see large numbers of pastoral leaders who are already called and gifted and placed by God. There are actually 2.2 million pastoral leaders now. Some estimates say 3.4 million. That's 10 times the number of cross-cultural missionaries today. God has already brought them into existence. They're already serving. They already sense the need, except they will not be able to go to a formal training environment. Mm -hmm. So this industry tries to address that. And yet, we need the quality of formal training with the speed of non-formal training to address this as a ministry strategy for the 21st century. Mm, wow. The the quality of formal with the speed of non-formal. Bro- brother, that's a, that's, a tough, uh, <laughs> that's a tough combination. Yes. Um, there are about 1,200 schools across the world which are accredited in various ways. In fact, not even all accreditation is equal. Mm-hmm. If you take every school and take every graduate and turn them into pastoral leaders, we'll address the world need by 1%. Mm, wow. 
over 10 years. So can you say, so, say that one more time? I want to make sure the listeners got that correctly, because that's that's a fascinating number. There are about 1,200 so, schools. 1,200 schools. There are schools. many training institutions, but 1,200 of them are, are accredited in some way. Mm-hmm. There are different kinds of accreditation, ATS, as you and I know here, ABHE, right. tracks, and all this. Mm-hmm. Let's take all of them as accredited, and if every graduate becomes a pastoral leader every year, we'll address the world need for pastoral training by one percent. One percent, wow! Across ten years, so it's going. It's so all the schools put together, we can't address the issues. However, the good thing is, I don't know of a single non-formal training initiative that is effective which is not led by somebody who's formally trained. So mm-hmm. you train pastors, J.D., I train pastors. Right. Both of us have had the privilege of the quality of formal training. So there's a symbiosis, a complementarity, uh, and and I would like to foster that. I'd like to seize that. Both face common challenges, but together, in collaboration, we can deliver large-scale pastoral training across the world. And so 2016 Bangkok Congress is to to have a lot of conversations about that particular topic? Yes. So um, here's a couple of more numbers which your listeners might like. One is the number of pastoral leaders. Uh, 5% of those formally trained are trained for pastoral ministry. The second is the number of churches that are going to be planted there are some estimates that there will be 5 million congregations, new faith communities planted between 2016 and 2020, hmm. especially by the Global Alliance of Church Movements and so on. That is a powerful number. We have to rejoice that about 100 organizations are coming together trying to do this in concerted uh, church planting. Mm-hmm. But here is from their own notes. I heard them, and I encourage them. I'm with them often. In April 2013, one of them got up and said, up to 70% of the new congregations that are planted will fail within the first year. Hmm. That is a daunting, Hmm. daunting failure rate, which means we've got to do something to preserve the fruit and justify the cost of all this energy, of all the church planting efforts that are going across the world. Hmm. In order to preserve the fruit, justify the cost, and here's a Another statistic comes from Dr. Thomas Schermacher, who is the head of the Theological Commission of the World Evangelical Alliance. He's the chair of the uh, Theological Commission. After careful research, uh, says that there are 50,000 new believers baptized every day. That's the low estimate. Mm-hmm. There are some would say 82,000, as you well know. If we have 50,000 new baptized believers every day, we need a thousand new pastors every day wow. just to nurture mm. the embryonic faith of these new believers. Mm. A thousand new pastors every day. We're not going to make it. We'll never catch up. So is there something that we can do large scale globally and yet preserves the fruit, justifies the cost, as well as lay the infrastructure for the future? Mm. So REACH is in the middle of a 10-year human capital campaign. We call this a human capital campaign. It is not a building campaign. It's not a financial campaign. Those are attached to it. But by human capital, we mean building both human capacity and human capability. Mm. I have uh, my favorite attache, which I carry on. I lost uh, it about uh, three, four weeks ago in, 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 uh, in an airport. Somebody just stole it. Mm. It was the perfect balance between capacity and capability. Some of my bags have capacity, but they're not capability. Mm. Some of my bags have capability, but not capacity. So we're trying to build both capacity and capability for the church. 
to handle new believers, church plants, as well as failure rates. And I am suggesting to the world of ministry and missions that if we add the pastoral training complement as both the apex as well as the undergirding feature of all our ministry strategy, we will get to do something large-scale that's global. It'll also be something that preserves the fruit, nurtures the embryonic faith, justifies the cost, but also perpetuates the future. So, so what? Go ahead. So, Go ahead. so why, why do you why do you think that? Uh, I mean, given those numbers, I mean, you, you anticipated, you know, one of my questions about just just the need uh, for pastoral training. Why, why do you think that? Uh, the evangelical church across the world right now, why do you think that we, we find ourselves in this situation whereby it sounds to me uh, like uh, pastoral training uh, is is undervalued, uh, it, it, it needs to be given a much higher priority? Uh, wh- wh- why, why are we so far, if I can use the expression, why are we so far behind uh, in this right. in this situation? I can't pontificate about anything, but I have a, a suggestion or two, maybe an opinion. Uh, we've got to, first of all, recognize that this is the fruit of about 200 years of labor. Uh, Basically, you know, Protestant missionary history. Correct. And, you know, when uh, William Carey uh, moved from England to India, this genius of a man uh, started the, the Protestant missionary movement. Mm-hmm. And 200 years of labor uh, is just quite amazing. Throughout the whole world, the church is already in every political entity, not in every ethnic entity, but every political entity, every nation in the world already has a church. This is something which God has done mm-hmm. uh, in his 2,000-year plan, uh, which is not yet finished, as we know of today. It might be by the time the podcast comes through. But uh, <laughs> uh, God has been doing this. And the Panasonic only has a 250-year plan. Uh, God goes from eternity to eternity. So one is the fruit of, of the labor. Secondly, because uh, we have been looking at several streams of missions, I'm going to add a fourth stream. There are usually uh, the early streams of social and compassion ministries, which give us entree into people's uh, cultures mm-hmm. and lives, which as a platform for the gospel is valid. If it does not bring the gospel into it, we just become another NGO like the United Nations. Right. So come social uh, compassion ministries, we add the component of evangelism. And to evangelism, uh, even Jesus' videos have church plants which come up. Mm-hmm. The question we're addressing is after church planting, what? And I'm suggesting that, that pastoral training completes it because you mm-hmm. normally go to pastors to find out where, you know, you dig wells in South Sudan, where you show the Jesus movie in Bolivia, where do you plant churches mm-hmm. in, in uh, Burundi. So you go to pastors anyway. And here uh, is maybe my final take on your question, my brother. We have never been in a time of history where there's been a groundswell of this many workers on site long term, hmm. far more relevant as before. So we suddenly are finding this 2.2 million to 3.4 million pastors. It never happened before. So we're trying to cope with what God has done in the fruit of 200 years of labor. So let's seize it. You know, when you look at the ministry of the Apostle Paul, I mean, it's it's oftentimes we're quick to to get focused on new disciples made, new churches planted. But but he was heavily involved in pastoral training. I mean, you see at the end of his first missionary journey there in Acts chapter 14, he, he goes back to those new churches, appoints elders. 
He's always sending people back. He's making a special trip to, to Miletus to meet with the Ephesian elders there in Acts 20. Uh, you know, he sends you know, Timothy back to Ephesus to, to meet up with those elders, and he, he's talking to him about or writing to him about you know, rightly handling the word. So, so this was an issue that was very much on the, the Apostle Paul's heart as well, the issue of pastoral training. Yes, and not only that, we also have the epistles, uh, which are the original apostle training manuals. Absolutely. Uh, and in fact, in Bangkok, in the first session, is it's not a speaker-driven, stage-driven event, mm-hmm. but there's morning devotions. We've got actually about 35, 40 speakers, all preaching from Second Timothy mm. uh, as the original apostle training manual as we uh, undertake the Congress. The Congress itself, going back to your earlier question, uh, is a vision to bring up to 5,000 trainers of pastors ministering in 200 countries together. And wow. four objectives. One is to build community between the formal and non-formal training worlds. The formal guys look at us, non-formal guys, and think of us as too ad hoc and pragmatic. Mm-hmm. The non-formal guys think of us formal guys and think of us as too theoretical and irrelevant. That's right. Yeah. And actually need each other, or mm-hmm. very desperately need each other. You might have been in Cape Town uh, at the Lausanne Congress. We just put the word out and said, if you're engaged in pastoral training, would you pick up your lunch and come to this room? And, J.D., we had dozens who showed up. We had to shut the doors. Mm -hmm. We had to do that two days later. Again, dozens showed up. We released something called the Cape Town Pastoral Trainers Declaration, which simply says, from both the formal and non-formal ends, we have unintentionally and intentionally marginalized one another. But we need each other mm-hmm. in order to fulfill uh, God's great final grand commission. So, so what is the book community? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah so so I, I guess one of the things that, for some of the listeners that are out there, that all that they are aware of is that formal side. Um, you, know, you and I obviously have gone through the formal process, have, have taught in, in formal settings. But, but what does – can you give us just the, an idea of what does pastoral training look like in the majority world context that's the non-formal type of training? What does that look like? Great. Uh, the non-formal pastoral training – is the complement of formal pastoral training, usually led by formal pastor, formally pastor, uh, trained pastors, who sense a need uh, that others don't uh, have the same privileges that they themselves have had. Uh, that we need to have church health accompanying church growth. Mm-hmm. If we have growth without health, it's cancer, whether in the human body mm-hmm. or, or Christ's body. So those who are formally trained are actually very sensitive to this, saying we need to have both health and growth mm-hmm. uh, uh, go together. Now, what does non-formal pastoral training look like? It is not as sophisticated or as uh, accredited in terms of processes as we have in formal training. We go through what I'm going to call the luxury model of retail. Very, very few people actually can... Um, uh, buy luxury models, especially in the parts of the world where there's economically weaker societies and cultures and fewer opportunities. Mm-hmm. So instead of thinking of it as a luxury model that you and I have, perhaps at a Dallas Seminary or a Beeson or a Southern or a Southeastern, where both of uh, us have had some experience, we're looking at a retail model that is uh, mass market, where they already are there, they're seeking some help for next Sunday's work and ministry. Uh, 
Uh, how can I preach? Many, many pastors don't know what they're going to preach on Saturday night. They don't know what they're going to be preaching on Sunday morning. They're going to church. They hear some pounding music, which is wonderful, and they say, oh, this is amazing. Keep the worship going for a little while. And then the moment of truth comes when they've got to get up and preach. Mm-hmm. And uh, they don't know what to say and yeah. say the same thing they've always said, or they go to the Internet to find some, uh, some final illustration and imitate some Western preacher. And uh, we perpetuate an incestuous relationship with major media uh, where these people simply mimic what they see. Mm. So non-formal pastoral training looks like this. They are not deliberate two-year, three-year, four-year programs. They are usually modular, seminar-type, more like a business continuing education program that many businessmen and professionals will know. Mm-hmm. If they want, a surgeon wants to go get an additional certificate, they go to a you know, continuing education program. And so this industry is raised, have been raised. We did a global poll, and there were 160 issues relevant to pastoral training. We've taken them, compacted them into 40 major issues, 40 major issues. And those 40 major issues are the infrastructure of the upcoming GPRO Congress in Bangkok, Thailand, for trainers of pastors. And each one of these 40 issues will have good and bad practices, an initial resource toolkit, and an expanding community of interest, which is formed so that in the four years of follow-up to the GPRO Congress, we'll be able to fulfill a large part of pastoral training needs across the world. REACH is actually beginning a project to identify every pastoral training curriculum in every every language of the world in June of 2016. It's a four-year project, and we're grateful to be able to do that. Are there common things that um, that you're seeing that that's that's kind of universal to pastors yes. around the world? What, what can you give us a few of those things that are yes. that are really? Let needed? me talk about uh, functional and as well as uh, uh, ministry needs. The functional needs we're finding is the reality of bivocational pastors. The biggest trend in the world today are bivocational. A pastor was a barber. A pastor was. I was recently in New Delhi where I met a guy who had, uh, sorry, I didn't meet him. I was told of a guy who had planted 43 congregations and happens to be a taxi driver. Hmm. That is a bivocational pastor. Right. I was recently speaking with the Assemblies of God in Sri Lanka. Uh, Ten people ordained that night. There was a man who had planted 260 congregations Hmm. of 1,700 members in the house churches. Now, that is amazing what Hmm. God is doing. But comes the next question. How do you maintain the 43 congregations? How do you maintain the 260 congregations in the house churches? And that's where we uh, we want to contribute to it. Uh, So the bivocational pastor is a massive global trend. Another global trend is in the area of um, refugee churches. In this worst-case humanitarian disaster since World War II, happening all over the world, and not just in the Middle East. It's happening in Kenya. It's happening in other parts of the world where refugees, uh, massive migration movements that you are so aware of, uh, are, are looking for help. And whoever happens to have a Bible becomes a pastor, or uh, whoever uh, starts a little group becomes a pastor. There's, mm-hmm. I mean, this is unbelievable situation. So refugee churches. Another big trend we are finding is in the area of preaching. Because the number one felt need, SIM, the fine missionary organization, did a poll of 28 countries in Africa. And they found that the number one felt need of a pastor was the fear of preaching next Sunday. Mm. So 
If we can help pastors to preach biblically, live biblically, which is a character issue, which will cancel everything out regardless of you know, how great and gifted you are, and to think discerning, uh, discerningly in, the, in theological discernment. Uh, I've been to places where pastors are preaching that you've got to climb trees to meet Jesus like Zacchaeus claimed to, mm. climbed a tree to meet Jesus. I've been to places where pastors don't know Jesus is coming back. Now, how do you minister mm. when you don't know Jesus is coming back? Yeah. I was in a majority Muslim place uh, where a guy was called Pastor Islam. And I said, this is very interesting, Pastor Islam. Tell me your intriguing story. He says, eight months ago, I belonged to the majority religion. Eight months ago, not only did I become a believer in Christ, now I'm pastoring. So uh, this, is, this is what we're finding functionally as needs. Ministry needs are, are basically the same three that I mentioned earlier in the podcast, to preach biblically, to lead biblically, live biblically, think biblically, so that they can lead biblically. Leadership itself is defined by how culture uh, uh, defines it. Uh, for example, in Burma, they have had 60 years of a dictatorship. And many pastors don't know anything else in leadership than the model that culture has, has provided, so they become little dictators. Mm -hmm. So we don't talk about leadership per se, but we say all that we say and do informs your leadership uh, so that you can lead and serve God's people very, very uh, well. So when you, when you say, you know, these three big needs, preaching, leading, thinking, all obviously biblical, uh, to me— uh, that sounds very much like uh, three, you know, three of the main challenges within it within the U.S. context and the North Every, American context. It's the same three needs across the world: to preach biblically, live biblically, and think biblically across the whole world. Wow, you mentioned a few times uh, your ministry, Reach. Uh, tell us a little bit about Reach. Thank you. Uh, when Dallas Emery invited me back from Delhi, India, to come back uh, after a bit of uh, uh, conversation, they said they'll give me the time to minister, but not the resources to minister, and I wanted to be out overseas every other month. Mm -hmm. uh, basically, six businessmen in Dallas said, we'll underwrite your um, international ministry. So REACH began 29 years ago to uh, implement God's calling and gifting in my life. Uh, and uh, God's gifting is bigger than this person. God's calling is greater than my gifting. God is greater than all. Mm. We carry... Um, uh, geographical priorities in Asia, Africa, and Latin America as the primary areas where the church is growing. We also have strategic priorities in evangelizing opinion leaders, strengthening pastoral leaders, and reaching into large numbers of individuals across the world. Because I come from a people-rich and culture-rich environment early in my years, if you open my chest or the back wall of my chest, you will find the phrase, large numbers of individuals. It's literally written there, but only you can't see it. And so our vision is to change the way 1 billion individuals, 1,000 million individuals think about the Lord Jesus and hear about the Lord Jesus. Hmm. The way they think about the Lord Jesus, we do that through evangelism. The way they hear about the Lord Jesus, the strengthening pastor leaders. Wow. The pastoral leaders are on-site, they're more relevant, they're long-term. I was talking to Haiti this morning. All of us know about the massive challenges there. They're going to have a new election declaration over the next few days. They had the earthquake, because, you know, 300,000 mm -hmm. people died just a few years ago. Their pastors don't get up and leave. They've got to hang on for the sake of their people. And, of course, helping pastoral leaders is less expensive as well. So with the priority of pastoral leaders, I think we have a chance— uh, for 
the fulfillment of God's grand commission. For our listeners, Ramesh, that uh, want to know more about what, at the time they'll hear this, what happened in Bangkok, or to find out more about REACH, find out more about you, can you give us some, some online addresses or some locations? Sure. Um, I would like to direct them to REACH. REACH is with two R's, R-R-E-A-C-H dot O-R-G. R-R-E-A-C-H dot O-R-G. They can also go to G-Pro Congress, which stands for, that's not GoPro, but G-Pro, <laughs> Global Proclamation Congress dot O-R-G. And by the time this podcast plays, the Lord willing, the Bangkok Congress will be done uh, with a four-year follow-up in full swing which we are attempting to facilitate across the world so that pastors will be healthier. And because pastors will be healthier, churches will be healthier. And because churches are healthier, the communities and societies which they serve will be healthier as well. Rreach.org, gprocongress.org. My guest today on Strike the Match uh, is Dr. Ramesh Richard. It's been a great blessing talking to this brother who is involved in pastoral training, both formal and non-formal, across the world. He serves as the professor of global theological engagement and pastoral ministry at Dallas Theological Seminary. Ramesh, thank you so much, brother, for being with us today. J.D., my brother, strive on. And uh, I know God's got great use for you as well in so many ways and layers. I look forward to rejoicing every time He uses you greatly. Thank you. You have been listening to Strike the Match with J.D. Payne. You can find J.D. on Facebook or follow him on Twitter at J.D. underscore Payne. And if you'd like to check out more books, posts, and podcast episodes, visit jdpayne.org. You can also subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, and we'd be honored if you would consider rating us or leaving comments. Thanks again for tuning in. We hope you'll join us next time.